0: Yeah, I mean, you're really getting me thinking. I'm like, how many of my houses could have barn doors? Because that'd be uh, all, my thing. I'm like barn door lady.
1: That's right. That's <laughs> right. I mean, I think you just have to do it. You can fit yeah, it in I anywhere. Mean,
0: I'm gonna talk to them and need some there quotes. You, <laughs> there you go.
1: Get some <laughs> quotes.
0: This is the final call for me.
1: The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode Three Eighty Three. There are only two states in the U.S. where the temperature has never surpassed 100 degrees. One of them is obvious, Alaska. But the second, you're never going to guess. Stick around to the end, and I'll give you the answer. Today we're talking about one of my favorite subjects in the world, and that is real estate. We're also talking about real estate as a means to allow you to have a lifestyle that maybe you couldn't live before. This idea that you can live all over the world and be location-dependent, you're probably thinking, wait, doesn't real estate tie you down instead of allow you to go and do whatever you want? We're going to be talking about that and why that is not the case. It's a little bit counterintuitive in today's show with Ziana. But no matter where I am, whether I'm traveling near or far, whether I'm just going to my parents or going for an overnight somewhere close, I am using my Tortuga backpack. It is the best backpack out there for travelers near and far. If you want to go and get the best travel carry-on backpack out there, you could do that. They've got a lot of different options now. You can go to tortugabackpacks.com epop. Remember, if you want to get 10% off, you have to do something a little different than before. You have to go tortugabackpacks.com epop. That will put a special code into your cart at checkout. That will give you 10% off anything you order. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the
0: I'll show you London afternoon If you feel your Dublin
1: heart is burning Yeah, well you don't have Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is one of the few people who has been on the podcast three different times, and also the main reason that I'm sitting here in sunny Boulder, right next to Chautauqua Park at a great, great house sit, and who I found out last week is a big fan of veggie burgers, but not a big fan of Whole Foods, (laughs) Gianna McIntyre. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thank you, Travis. I'm so glad you were here so I could convince you to do episode three. That's right.
1: Well, if you guys didn't listen to the first two episodes, go listen to those. What we talked about there was kind of the first episode was this general overview of Airbnb, giving people an idea of whether they might be interested in doing it, whether they have their own property or being a property manager, kind of this overview that that gave you this idea or a sense of what it might be like. And then part two, we dove into the nitty gritty. People were like, all right, I definitely wanna do Airbnb. Here's how to maximize your listing and all kind of the nerdy logistical stuff of Airbnb. And we said that if we got good reception from that, we'd come into a third one, which would be about investing, like actually buying a property or what do we look for in properties when we're talking about short-term rentals. And we got really good feedback, Diana. People were like tweeting, Emails, everyone's like, you got to have her come back on. So I said, all right, let's do it. Yay, I'm and so he- happy. And here we are in person. And mm-hmm. that's the best thing is that we're here in Boulder doing it in person. And I have to give a shout out to Sasha and Darren Mendenhall. I haven't told you this yet. They were tweeting at me a ton and big EPOP fans. So thanks for listening to the show, guys. But after your show came out, they were like, oh my gosh, this is, this is kind of what we've been looking for. You know, we've been working these jobs, we've paid off this debt, we put our daughter through college. We're kind of looking for that next. Next little step, something that allows us to be location-dependent After have to listen to Ziana's show, like this is what we want to do, fast-forward. A couple of months only, I know three, four months, they actually bought a place in Sacramento and they're getting it ready for Airbnb. So that
0: is awesome. Yeah. So I mean, that is why I do this is like the cute emails I get. I, I was saying actually, just like when we were all hanging out with some of your friends that also blog and podcast, it's like sometimes you're just like, is anybody out there? Is anybody reading these weird blogs and putting out in the world? And then every once in a while, those emails come in and somebody's changed their life because of something you said. So it's totally worth it. Yeah, yeah, it
1: really it really is. And I love hearing from you guys. So if, if you want to let us know what you thought about the shows, let us know. A lot of people did that. I do want to give a shot. If you want to see their property, I gotta get this right here. It's at STWI twenty twenty, is Darren and Sasha's Twitter and I believe Instagram. So check it out. They sent me a picture of their house. It's cute. It's right there in Sacramento. Cool. Um, yeah, so I thought, all right, these are people that really took some action. A lot of people listen, oh, that's a cool idea. They went and bought a property. Yeah, like a lot of people
0: do. It's surprising.
1: Yeah, and that is what we're going to talk about today. Is this idea of investing for Airbnb and and whether, you know, we talked about in show 1, if you guys haven't listened to give you a little idea of this idea of master leasing, basically how you can be an Airbnb property manager without owning property, which I think is interesting to a lot of people because they either don't have the money, they don't want to make the commitment. That's totally fine. So go listen to that. But there are the kind of the flip side of people like like you and I, I think, who love properties, love the idea of investing, who are saying, I want to invest and I wanna do it for a short term reason because I can make money right away. And I can also hopefully then make money in the long run through real estate investing. Give us your timeline because I just found out you walked in and you talked about a Place in Colorado Springs. I didn't even know you had a place in Colorado. Springs. <laughs> so, give us the timeline of your properties and how they've shook out.
0: Yeah. So, I started Airbnb um, 2012. I think it was August, something like that. Um, I bought my first place September 2014. Okay. So, for a while, it was just renting and re-renting. Um, and then 2014 was the first one. July of 2015 was the second one. So, okay. just shortly after. Then I got really excited. That one did so well that I bought two more in November of that same year. So okay. July to November.
1: So we've done four <laughs> in four months or roughly four in four months.
0: No, I mean, that was like a year.
1: Okay. Four in a year. Okay.
0: And then um, I, I took kind of a year off. And the next one was January of um, 2017. And then this last year, it was March of
1: 2018.
0: All right. And, and so-, so I am due. <laughs> All right,
1: there you go. <laughs> All All right, I to like say sitting with you. Are time. we going to buy a property by the end of the show? Like I'll be on Zillow or yeah. we'll be on there. All right, we found one. Let's do it. Um okay, so <laughs> the first and but you own a, in different areas too. So mm-hmm. the first one was where in Boulder. Boulder. Yep. Yeah. Okay, where you're located and where you live. And yeah. then what about the ones after that?
0: So it was Boulder then it was St. Louis. And because that one did so well and was so affordable, I came right back. So it was from July to November and then bought two more. And those were with other friends. So I kind of like came home and was so excited. I was like, I need to find more money. So I was asking everybody for money. And then um, the one after that was also St. Louis with a friend um, and then the one here in Colorado Springs was that same last friend from St. Louis. We bought another place here in Colorado Springs. And it's just because I heard that area was doing well. And it's pretty close still to Boulder, like an hour and a half.
1: Gotcha. So you've got about. one in Boulder, three in St. Louis, four, four in St. Louis, one in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, because there's a lot to unpack there. And I definitely want to talk yeah. about the difference between buying somewhere that you live and, or, or are, you know, as close Colorado Springs an hour down the road, you could, you could figure it out versus yeah. buying somewhere further afield. That's just a good deal. But the first, but even before that, I want to talk about buying with friends. Cause that, I didn't know you did either. And that mm-hmm. seems both like a great idea and an awful idea, depending on who you pick.
0: Yeah, it's both. And you, I've had both experiences. <laughs> <okay>. So
1: <laughs> so let's start, let's start with, would you recommend someone do that all and I'll tell everyone all my properties that I've bought are with my with my dad which again could be bad could be good or bad you know buying with family people say don't mix family and business don't mix friends and business obviously it can shake out however you however you want it to or hope it does but all of those are with one other person it's like my mom and dad on one side me and heather on the other side and we're 50-50 partners so we've done the five properties that we own that way You have done a few on your own and then a few with friends. Good, bad, would it be recommended? Did you do it because you needed money? Like, let's talk that out a bit.
0: I mean, I think we all do it because we need money, but also because you can share the... um, So it's just sharing the risk, right? So it's like... Just knowing that, like, wow, okay, if something happens, if we have like a furnace blow up, the five thousand dollars or three thousand dollars is not my full load, I've got somebody else on the line there. But I think the like maybe lesser known reality of real estate is just that most people have partners, you know, that's why websites like Bigger Pockets are so common and popular. Um, and I'm on the board of this like accounting software for short term rentals, and they talk about, yeah, we had to figure out a way to like do partners um, you know earnings because everybody 's got partners one one at least, so I do think that it's some it 's an idea to get used to, and it 's also something good for people to know starting out just because you don't need to feel like how the heck am i going to go this alone you know that makes you relax a little bit knowing that you don't have to come up with everything and have all of the information yourself
1: yeah it certainly was a big stress relief to me both well both financially and mentally emotionally all of it when i was deciding to do it with my with my dad because he he had just retired or was retiring and i was the one pushing this you know he if he never got another property, he probably wouldn't have cared. He certainly was not going to buy in the city. He hates going to the city. If it was up to him, he'd be in Wyoming, right? So he was not pushing to to be in, in Philadelphia, but he saw an opportunity and you know, I talked him through it and we went and looked and stuff. But it was definitely a relief because like you said, financially was nice. If it wasn't with him, we probably would have done one or two maybe. And then that would have been like stretching us and we would have been done there. But it also was nice to know that there was another person to throw ideas off of. Yeah. You, you just weren't isolated. You weren't in your own little bubble. You're like, if something happens, I at least can lean on someone else. His expertise, much more handy, you know, he's much more handy than I am. So it, it did work that way. And I guess you're right. I, you know, most of the people I know that are in real estate do have partners. It wasn't really something I thought about before you brought it up, but now that I am, it's like, yeah, that's a normal thing.
0: Yeah, and you know, another thing I don't like hearing that people like to say a lot is like, oh, you could never do business with friends, you know, like, told you so, but that's not true, you know, and I, I when I had my bad experience, I wanted to be like, no, it's not because of that, this is an isolated in- incident, I'm learning from this experience, and I have like two other partners that are just peachy perfect, so, you know, I wanted to keep going forward with it and just make sure I vetted the person more, because what happens is if you're a buy and hold investor, you might own this property for 30 years. So it's kind of like a marriage in a way, and you need to really trust and you know be solid with that person and yeah. your contracts. And
1: the <laughs> interesting part is usually when things are going well, you don't have you might not have that much contact, right? It's good. So, it, and then you have to have a certain type of relationship that when things go bad that's usually when you're talking so already i feel like there's a little bit of stress because it's usually like uh oh the furnace did blow up we have to figure this out and you have to make sure that the person that you're that you're investing with and that you're partnered with that Both of you can handle it and can talk to each other openly about it. Because I know my dad and I, being totally transparent, like we had one blow up. It's happened once in like three (laughs) years. He got on me for something with accounting and I just was like, well, you still haven't figured out the legal part of this yet. And it was, you know, it was like three minutes of like (laughs) blowing up. And then after that, we both were like, okay you know, well, I started it, I'll give myself, guys was like, all right, sorry for that, you know, this, that, but it, it then led to us saying, all right, well, I'm glad at least we can be open with each other. And, you know, sometimes that's what it takes, you know, it's not going to be perfect. What do you do to vet someone? Because you said you had a bad experience. What do you do now to make sure or try to make sure that the person that you're investing with is someone that you want to be investing with and it'll work out?
0: Yeah, I think before it used to be me really campaigning to like, these are all the reasons why you should give me your money. And now people come to me a lot. Like I'll get a random email in my box and I'm like, yo, I'm not about that. Like, that sounds real scary. I don't know you, you know, and I I know other investors that are really into that and they'll just, they'll vet someone random. Um, But for me, like when I was doing this last person that I invested with, we really talked about like how do you deal with conflict and like, what are your strategies for communication and like how much do you want to be involved? And just like, how, like what are your beliefs on how homes should be maintained? Like just lots of stuff because I've found with Airbnb and just with older homes and maintenance in general, that if you leave something, it can become more expensive over time right. rather than just fixing it right on the onset, you know, like, Oh, okay. Um, So we both were on the same page about that kind of stuff, and I think it really helped. Plus, we talked a lot about, like, worst-case scenarios, which, you know, those usually never happen. But, like, do we have other money if the house can't cover itself? And, like, how much are we willing to do? What would be our exit strategy? What happens if one of us wants out? Like, we really talked through a lot of scenarios and put them in a contract So I feel like that helped a lot to make me feel calm about it.
1: Yeah, I guess just even having it written down from the outset and out in the open, hopefully most of that never even comes to fruition. But you know, hey, we have discussed it. We're not coming in blind if something does happen and that person wants to, you know, sell their share and all of a sudden we have to figure this out on the fly. We've at least discussed the possibility of that happening before.
0: Yeah. And there's been other people that I thought at first, oh, you know, I just got excited. Like, oh, sure. they have this money and they're ready like to do something. I think like two peas in a pot
1: here. Like we're pushing, <laughs> totally. pushing, pushing for more properties, getting very, we're the excitable side of it. right? Yeah, yeah totally.
0: Yeah. But I've found that like there are a few people that I, I got really excited initially and then like backed off. And, you know, that's kind of my fault too. Like I don't want to get someone excited then realize like I'm scared of being with them. But yeah, just thinking like, oh, you know, there's there's some things about their personality that I don't know will will mesh well with me or, you know, something about like they don't want to be involved at all. It's like, okay, you're not going to be involved much, but like if I need to call on you, I need somebody, right? So I think it's just being careful about those sort of things. Yeah.
1: What about then investing in other areas? Like, Is the person mm-hmm. that you're invested with in St. Louis from St. Louis and are they there on the ground or are both of you completely have nothing to do with St. Louis other than the properties.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about St. Louis until I went there um, and and that's kind of how it got me rolling. I went there for a wedding and we can talk about that more. But my friend, he didn't know Please anything. Please tell me you
1: bought a property. Like, you were buying it at the wedding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I got to run out of the reception. You go look at three places, come back for dessert and dancing or something. Yeah,
0: legit. The timeline was like, I'm here for the wedding. And everything's like, I didn't have a like idea in my mind. And then I'm chatting with people at the wedding. And they tell me like their mortgage is $300 a month. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm coming back to buy a house. And it was a month later that I was there with my house. So... Yes. Things can happen fast. Um, I don't know where I was going before well, <laughs> It was, yeah, it's the idea, the
1: idea that, okay, so none of you are on the ground in St. Louis. You went oh, for a yes. wedding, you got excited. <laughs> well, yeah, let, let's do that. Walk us through the idea of buying somewhere that you, that you basically didn't know because you had yeah. been there and you bought a place a month because even me, uh, who, who loves this idea, it, it it gives me a little bit of anxiousness and nervousness of saying, "Oh my gosh, I don't know the neighborhoods. I don't know, you know, the Airbnb market. Obviously, you can kind of scope some of that out online, but that's not a real substitute for actually being there and walking through it." So, yeah, were you nervous about investing there? Or were the numbers just so good that you thought, "I don't even care. Like, I could do, I can do half of what I expect, and it's still going to work out."
0: Yeah, so I was at the wedding and, you know, it was just small talk telling people what I do, you know, oh, I, I have Airbnbs and they're like, oh, we have friends in town that are doing that already and, and we've been thinking about doing it, you know, they, they're doing really well with it. So already I knew there was somebody somewhere doing it. Right. But I hadn't spent any time in St. Louis. I I would been there maybe one day and then the wedding was out in the countryside. And then I had like another day back in town and we left. So it wasn't like I got to walk the streets or anything. So, yeah, I was really under prepared in that sense, you know. Um, But from that, I got like a few contacts of friends of friends that had said, hey, you know, these people do it and they do it well. And so calling them, they were really gracious to share their information of, you know, these are the areas that we think would do well, this is why we do well here, these are the kinds of guests we get, this is what we can charge, all that kind of stuff. So that helped me kind of zero in, and online you can do a lot of stuff. Um, I use Trulia for crime maps, they have really good stuff, Um, you still have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's good to see, you know, is this a murder crime, or is this just like a theft crime, It's important. Yep, yep. If it gets too
1: red on the map, (laughs) I stay away. I'm like, "Ah, whatever the color, the dark color is usually the bad color, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. And so, you know... St. Louis is really complex and it's street to street. And so just getting to see that a little bit on a map was really helpful. And then there's so much information about neighborhoods. St. Louis is set up as like a collection of small towns almost. It feels like that. And so all the neighborhoods have like their own little website and some pride about it. And so I got like an idea of what they represented. Um, But, In the end, I ended up going with um, the area around Washington University because I'm coming from Boulder. Boulder's a college town. I knew that colleges can bring in kids and parents and teachers and events. And so I thought, okay, if I can find like a cool part of the town that has like restaurants and shops, and then I can find something really close to the, the university. So that like worked out. I found this little niche where it was like, you know, five minutes from the university, two minutes from the cool walking street, 15 minutes from the airport. I was like, okay, that works. Yeah, yeah. sometimes
1: it just comes down. I play around with Google Maps a ton because, totally. especially if I don't know uh, a city or a town, because you just, you know, I'll go on, I'll be like, best restaurants in Plank, find a few. Where are they on a map? Oh, they're all right near each other. Okay, this is an area. You know, does it have a name? You know, big into neighborhoods too. And then, and yeah. you can figure out a decent amount. For you then, all right, you came back, you bought, nervous, not nervous, or You just, or were you just so yeah. excited that you just didn't care? You're like, I'm, I'm going for it.
0: Well, so I went home and I, w- I, I decided at the wedding, it was happening. And then I went home and I said, let me take two weeks. You know, like this is kind of a crazy idea. Am I like out of my head? Let's just simmer on it. And then at two weeks, I said, I'm going to do it. And so I found myself an agent, and I started looking at listings and everything, and then we, we did a cash offer, and so we closed in two weeks. So I was there a month later. Um, but maybe like a couple of days before close, my friend who had lived in St. Louis that I went for her wedding, she said, I don't know about that neighborhood. I don't know what you're doing. Like, she didn't have any experience in, in real estate, and has always been kind of like the more cautious, scared person. But I've known her since high school, and it freaked me out, you know?
1: Well, especially because (laughs) she was from there, right, to some degree. Even if you know, hey, she's a little more cautious, like, well, I was there for a day. So, okay. Yeah.
0: So, I almost, like, I mean, I had some moments of just thinking, like, oh, should I just pull out? And I talked to my sister, and luckily she just said, you know, you're a different kind of person. You take risks, and I know you did a lot of research, and, like, you've just got to trust your gut on this one. And she was right. And what my friend was referring to is that the town, just maybe 10 blocks north, is sketchy. Yeah. But where I'm at, it's like maybe the furthest north that you can go and still be fine. Gotcha. And so it was like the last street.
1: Yep. yep. And
0: it's, it's awesome. So yep. it's just kind of one of those things that she didn't live in that part of town and didn't know it's street to street that specifically.
1: Right, we have a yeah. place in Philly that is on the edge for sure and if you go for five blocks north you know it, it's just it, it wouldn't be necessarily dangerous but you would not go up there because it's not nice you go like 10 or 15 blocks north and you're in probably the worst part of Philadelphia so but again it's it's that idea that we know that and I've walked those streets I remember how I figured out if this was a good enough place for Airbnb I don't know if I said this on the other show but we, I drove in. I'm like, all right, this is a little further. I know the area, but I've never been to this exact street. And I drove up and there was a bunch of kids playing like flag football in a park right across the street. And then like a Mini Cooper parked right there. I'm like, yeah, this is nice enough. Like this is gentrifying enough for me to be able to, to get here yeah. just from literally that anecdotal, like I'm going to drive by once and see it. And you know, that probably saved us if we were 10 blocks east in, in the really, really hip neighborhood it probably would have been 50 to 70K more, right? So it saved yeah. us 20, 25% to go a, you know, a couple blocks over or 10 blocks over, which you don't know unless you're able to to get there and kind of see it a little bit. You then, all right, so you got really excited. You bought this place and then you, you turned around and bought a few more in St. Louis pretty quickly. How did you know it was going to work so fast? What was it? Was it just the numbers that you're like, this is insane that this is working so quickly?
0: Yeah, pretty much. So um when I was at the wedding and people were saying, Oh, you know, our mortgage is three hundred dollars and we have a th- buying
1: in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is what it comes down to, I think.
0: I know. They were like, Oh, we have a front and backyard and a garage, three bedrooms, like the whole thing. And I at the time was renting and re-renting in Boulder and it was like eleven hundred bucks for a one bedroom. So with my numbers and like understanding, I was thinking, Okay, even if I can only get 80 bucks a night or 100 bucks or something like that that's like four nights like i'm gonna get four nights right you know like i probably won't do 25 nights like boulder does but maybe if i even get 15 nights i'm gonna cover this so it just sort of felt like there wasn't that big of a risk and worst case scenario i i always look at what long term would rent for it was still really good numbers i was still making that one percent that everybody talks about in real estate so I was like, you know, if I have to go long term, I can do it. So it didn't feel like a huge risk.
1: Yeah, so then with being in St. Louis and now you have a place a couple places in St. Louis. You have the one in Boulder, which is right down the road you can easily check on. Then you have one in Cotar Springs, which is a little bit of that in between. Hey, it's not right down the road, but it's an hour or so away. What would you what do you prefer? Do you prefer going with the places where you know the numbers just might work? Or do you like having a place that is close that you can keep an eye on a little more?
0: I mean, I think the preference for probably anyone would be something five minutes away. Like, you could just walk out your door and go there. I mean, all the places I manage in Boulder are wonderful because, yeah, anything goes wrong or I just want my eyes on something, I can just go there. And so, obviously, that's the best route. But Boulder has kind of priced itself out at this point. You know, I've looked at homes and you really can't find anything that's not just like a total you know, burn down for like less than 700000 So I just can't do that. You know, the numbers don't work even with Airbnb. So it's too risky. So I, yeah, I I got pushed out. And honestly, I think a lot of people say, oh, you know, try to make your first investment within a four-hour drive so you can go see it. I don't know that that really makes any difference because even with Colorado Springs being an hour and a half, I never go there. Yeah. And I don't even want to be like drawn to try to think if it makes sense for me to drive an hour and a half. Like, no, because it's a three hour drive round trip and I don't want to go there for a problem. So it's really just feeling like, okay, I'm going to build a solid team and make it work. And sometimes you feel helpless because there's nothing you can do and something goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I actually have found interesting enough, especially being here in Boulder. So this last three weeks, we've been here in Boulder. We have five places in Philly. And I have felt better about them being here and being away than if I was there because I know I can't do anything. Now, nothing major has gone wrong, but we have a person on the ground there. And it's, it's almost a bit of a relief because I know that if anything goes wrong, I have to get someone else to handle it. So yeah, there's a little bit of stress of that of oh, maybe I have to get my dad to go down or something. But really, the only downside to being further away is it might cost you a little more money because you you can't go and fix something yourself but I don't I also don't want to be fixing something myself right so there is that there's kind of that thing of all right well because I can't I know I'm going to have to pay money and that's a bit of a relief because I know someone's going to go and do it well and it's you know again not taking up my time that being said we worked a little pretty hard to get people on the ground there that we trust like a locksmith a plumber so we have those contacts but that I feel like that's something you could do if you We're in a situation like you were in St. Louis where you aren't on the ground, even your other investors are on the ground, but you do have certain people like the people who gave you some advice in the beginning. You say, hey, do you have a good locksmith? Do you have a good plumber? And you try them out and if they're good, you just stick with them. I don't know. I'm almost leaning towards wanting a place that's further away for the stress purposes because you, you are, even if you feel helpless, you know you have to get it taken care of by someone else and you can't be there to do it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I tell people just invest where the money makes sense, you know. So for me, a lot of the places in the Midwest make more sense. And so, yeah, if if that's something you're comfortable with, do it. I think it's one of those things that you may not be comfortable with the moment you do it, but you can get there really quickly. And I do think having a good team gets you in that place. Um, we just got like a great handyman out of a newspaper. He just had like a a newspaper, um, advertisement, which I forget to look in those, but yeah, our cleaning lady clipped something out, sent me a photo and he turned out to be awesome. So yeah, sometimes it's, um, a lot easier than you'd think.
1: How do you find, like, that's a good example. You found the handyman from your cleaner, but how do you find the cleaner for a place that you're not living in?
0: Yeah. So I recommend for most people now that Airbnb and like short-term rentals are such a thing, there are specific companies that just do vacation rental cleaning. And so you can just go like vacation rental cleaning Philly and some will pop up and then it's just trying them. But I'd say, you know, you're not going to get it as cheap as someone that you just found on Craigslist, but they're going to have alternate people and they're going to back their work. So if somebody's not doing a good job, they're going to send another cleaner. And if somebody's out of town, they've got a backup. So that's the easiest way to start there. And then, yeah, just talking to them and say, hey, do you have a friend, cousin, husband that does handiwork? So you'd be surprised how quickly that little network spreads out. You know, Yeah, you
1: get your web going, like one yeah. person. And that's what we found, too. If you find one person you can really trust, whether that be your realtor that you're buying from, whether that be the cleaning person. I, I mean, I found an amazing locksmith. It seems weird because most locksmiths are awful, but I locked myself out three times like the first three <laughs> weeks. So uh, yeah, we got to know each other pretty well. And yeah. I will go to him all the time and be like, do you know other people? Because he works in that type of industry. So yeah, I know a plumber. I know this. I know that. Totally. And um, yeah, you kind of grow your web even, even if you're not there. Maybe a touch harder if, if it's somewhere further afield, but I still think it's something that's possible. Do you then have your eyes on other places? Like, do you want, you said Midwest cities and things like that, but for you, are you saying, all right, well, now I have my team in St. Louis and and I kind of got a feel for that. Does it make sense for, and if the numbers work there and work really well, does it make sense for you to go other places? Do you want to go other places? Is it like curiosity? Because for me, it's kind of all that numbers, but also this curiosity of, yeah, there's probably untapped markets out there that I want to explore.
0: Yeah, so for me, it's it obviously makes the most sense to do St. Louis again because I already have the team and we manage another home there. So we've got like five that we're working with and it just is easier. But what I'm concerned about is if the laws change. So currently St. Louis doesn't have... Any laws in um, St. Louis proper where I have a place and then also in University City, which is still St. Louis, but it's actually like a different city. So neither of those have outlawed it or put any restrictions. They just talk to Airbnb and they're getting occupancy taxes, which I'm hoping will just keep them happy. Um, so, yeah, I've been really lucky with that. But if I bought a bunch more places and then that changes, um, it is a little scary. So, um I have looked, and I, I almost pulled the trigger on two different larger properties there. Um, but I am in this place now where I almost kind of want to wait to see if there's going to be a bit of a recession and a big drop. So I'm sort of in a holding pattern until something like amazing pops out.
1: Yeah. Do you then have a good resource? Because that has always scared me a little bit too, is is that, yes, we know Airbnb. A lot of travelers know Airbnb. It's still a very new thing especially to governments, which you're going to take forever to, you know, push stuff out and do enact laws. But, you know, I get worried. I'm like, all right, we have five in Philly. They're working. The numbers work decent, you know, probably not as great as some places where, uh, you know, property is cheaper because usually that's, like you said, Midwest cities where you're going to find your most value and your highest margins because a price per night, you're still going to be able to get something decent. And if you could buy a place for a hundred thousand, you know, that's, that's pretty crazy but do you have a resource that you kind of look at to say, hey, these are friendly cities or friendly areas towards Airbnb, these are not as friendly, or is it just kind of anecdotal?
0: Yeah, I mean, I stay up on Airbnb News, so kind of like my Google feed will tell me about different things popping up, so I do hear when things are out uh, getting outlawed or different towns, and it's just kind of my business, so people will tell me a lot, and I'm also frequently looking in different city websites. The only place that I've heard that's really friendly is um, the whole state of Arizona. They did a whole thing where they will never outlaw Airbnb. Um, But for that reason, I think it's also made the property values higher. And I've noticed that they don't charge much for Airbnbs there. So the numbers don't seem to really make sense. Um, But it's good to know. You know, it's good to know that that's like a friendly area. And maybe you can find a little pocket somewhere. I haven't looked at all of their cities. So... Maybe there is something. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I really just think it's like city to city. Colorado Springs, that was one of the things I was really excited about. They had said that they were Airbnb friendly, but I've been recently hearing rumblings about them acting like it's gone too far for them. So that sucks when you buy a place thinking like, oh, under this pretense that it's going to be legal forever and then it could change. But with St. Louis, my places are so affordable that my whole goal was like pay them off in five years with Airbnb. And then if I had to do long term, they're already paid off.
1: Yeah, that was my other question was, do you have a backup plan for because again, the short term rental thing, it's not going to go away. Obviously, it's it's there, it exists, it has existed in some form for a long time, just now obviously is much more in the forefront with Airbnb getting so big and, and obviously HomeAway and them growing as well. But is the backup plan? usually just hey what can I get for long-term rental okay is that enough to cover my mortgage and or is that you know enough to cover mortgage plus 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 is that kind of the backup plan because that's my only backup plan it's like what's long-term rental <laughs> you know or and yeah. obviously buying it and we'll talk about appreciation in a second but buying buying in areas where I think all right there's a decent amount of built-in appreciation here anyway because of the neighborhood or because of the city in general and then hey what can I get for long-term will that cover the mortgage yes okay I'm fine with that if I have to become a long-term landlord.
0: Yeah, I would say that St. Louis is complicated and their vacancy rates are really high. And so I guess it depends on neighborhood as well. But that is a little concern of mine is if I went long-term because my neighborhoods are kind of like B-minus, would I even want to deal with the kind of tenants it would be? And... If you find an excellent management company, that it doesn't really matter where you are. Like I have a friend who invests in Bangor, Maine, and he says he's just got the best of the best management company, and he does all like Section Eight rentals. But he says he can only do it because of those that company. But there are a lot of really junky management companies,
1: right? So, and like so how it really long depends does it take to find one of those. Totally or do you have to get lucky, right?
0: Like I would just I would invest in Bangor, Maine, just because he said that, just because sure. I know that I could get that contact. Sure. So, like. Yes, I'm, I consider other markets, but that was something I didn't even think to look up when I was first getting started in investing. You just learn a lot as you go, and so yes, vacancy—if you're doing a long-term rental—is something to consider. In which case, I might like you know sell them and then just get one place instead of having five smaller places. So who knows? But I I went into it with this idea that I would own them forever, <laughs> so I didn't really think too much about the selling. Um, but I'm very, like, really creative and I kind of just work on my feet. So I know I can handle it if something happens. Yeah.
1: Have so you haven't sold one yet, right? Mm-hmm. They're all, Never. you've, you've kept them. Yeah. And then the other question with that is how much do you, cause you just said you, you actually weren't thinking about selling them, but how much now do you go into it judging, all right, this is how much Airbnb can make me, you know, kind of like the quick, immediate gratification and, and, money and cash flow versus, hey, here's how much I think it's going to appreciate. Like, do you weigh the appreciation in or is it, hey, I'm going to go for the best Airbnb property and the appreciation is just like icing on the cake if it happens?
0: Yeah. So I try not to consider appreciation because I think that's just like trying to predict the future, which nobody can do. It is something that comes up in my mind. Like it came up for Colorado Springs because people were saying a lot of that, like, oh, wow, this area is like the last cheap city. People are going to move here. So we will appreciate. So I thought about that, but that's not the only reason you want to invest somewhere because you never know what's going to happen. And it goes up and down depending on how long you own it. Plus, the Midwest is known to being just flat in general. I got really lucky. I mean, I would say this whole thing about real estate is that lots of people say they just got lucky. It's it's, uh, prepared luck. You know, we do a lot of research and then there's luck involved as well. But I got lucky that I bought there kind of like maybe a year or so after the riots that were happening in Ferguson, which is just north of University City. And so that area, I think that, Instead of families kind of buying a home and saying like, here's your home for the next four years for their student, they might have just been like, "Eh, let's just rent. And I think the home prices were just like a little lower than they normally would have been. And because now we're in like a bit of a real estate bubble, in my opinion, they have appreciated all of them. So I got lucky with that. But really what I'm only looking at is the cash flow. I want to make sure that it's making sense every single month.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I always look at appreciation as a I wouldn't even say a secondary, almost let's say, how can it do an Airbnb? Is long term okay, you know, and then you know, kinda maybe three or four rungs down the ladder is that idea of appreciation. Because like you said, I think it's a bit of top of market. I also think if you're banking on you appreciation, that's that's how you're gonna lose money in real estate if you're if it is this. Kind of not get rich quick, but just get rich idea of, oh, well, of course it'll double or triple if I have it for 10 years. It's like, well, no, not, not of course. And if it doesn't and you're banking on that, then, then you're setting yourself up for disaster. But I give it a bit of a thought of, especially with neighborhoods, was saying, and, and you've touched on this too, all right, we're at the edge of this neighborhood. You know, it obviously hasn't appreciated much. Can it appreciate? Yes, because it's near these kind of things. And so it is, it's a thought of mine, but it's definitely, only used in my head, used it as like a tiebreaker between maybe two properties that are very, very similar. Like, all right, do I think one has a little more appreciation to it. Yes, because of this. And so I'll use it as a tiebreaker. But I, I, yeah, I would urge anyone. And again, not like we're sitting here saying, oh, we have so many properties. We've done this for so many years. But I just look at appreciation as this extra cherry on top. Hey, if we can pay it off and then we have a house and it's, and it's made us money the whole time, and we've made money on appreciation, great.
0: Yeah, I I do consulting with people and they tell me sometimes that like, oh, you know, we're just losing like 100 a month or 300 a month. And I'm like, no way, sell that place. (laughs) Because it's just like, if anything goes wrong, then you're losing more. So it's, I, I don't think that it's safe to only be either losing anything or making just 100 a month or something like that. You really need like some cushion, and there's lots of real estate investors that only make maybe 200 a month on each door and they just invest in 100 properties. But I personally wouldn't do that. So, you know, everyone's got their own style, but I, I just want to be like way more cautious and I don't lose money because of that,
1: you know, on the month to month. Do you have a certain, when you're looking at a place, do you have a certain calculation or set a certain formula that you look at to say... Hey, this is I have to be above this level in order to even consider a property.
0: My aim is that I want to make a thousand dollars of profit a month. So what I have when I'm like analyzing a is property. That, that's per property. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um what I have is like a little spreadsheet where I estimate and sometimes I can get this from the real estate agent, but like what the the normal um utilities are and everything because you pay that as an Airbnb host. And so just kind of estimating what all my expenses are going to be with landscaping and snow removal and all those kinds of items that can come up. And I don't really plan for capex expenses, so bigger things like a tree or whatever, but um yeah, so I have like just a little prediction sheet and then based on what I think it can do um, seasonally as well. So I'll come up with maybe four tiers of numbers. Like if it only booked 15 nights a week and the midweek price was only $50 a night, like low end, you know, assessments to see if it really makes sense. Um, and you can get some information from Airbnb, just plugging in the address and seeing what people are charging around you, but you can also use airDNA.co. And they have analytics and they have some free analytics and then like more extensive stuff you can pay for. But I've never paid for it. And I just like use what I can see. Um, But that helps me get an idea of like what I can do price per night, what the competition's like.
1: What do you then look at for how, because price per night, I think is the easiest one to figure out, at least because you can go on Airbnb, like you said, look at what people are charging, look at their calendar. How do you figure out amount of nights per month booked on average? Because I think that is the... And I was help my buddy look at properties. I'm like, this is the big variable. Price per night, you can get a pretty good idea unless you do something really well and you can charge a lot more or you want to lower it for whatever reason. But the variable is like, how many nights am I going to get booked? What do you use as a baseline? Because I know mine, I always look at, and this is probably low for, for you, but I always look at if I only book eight nights a month wow <laughs> well and then here's the reason i look at that because i'm like there's you know let's say there's friday saturday four times a month eight nights a month if i only book those what am i making now usually the numbers don't work at eight nights a month because that's really low but that's kind of like my that is my very low number of saying if this if this happened what would it look like could i break even at eight nights a month if I can get close, then I say, all right, well, I'm probably going to go above that. But that has always been my like, very cautious approach. We also have, and this might play into it, and you can touch on this, we also have bigger units. So all of ours are four bedrooms. Obviously, you're probably going to get less, or you're going to have more vacancy um, because there's just not as many people who need four bedrooms as like one or two bedrooms. But you can charge more because you're then competing with two or three or four hotel rooms versus just one.
0: Totally. Um I think that's actually really smart. I never <laughs> Look, I'm learning things. <laughs> I never thought to just estimate the weekends. And of course the weekends make more than the midweeks. So, you know, that may change the pricing a little bit, but it's smart because I do hear that from people, especially when they're starting out with a new listing, that they're like, "Man, we just get the weekends booked and I don't know what's going on." And of course that can depend on your area too. So, that is a smart way to look at it. I usually look at like Half, so okay. I'm looking at fifteen nights as a low. What I've noticed in St. Louis being like maybe a second tier city. It's not as popular as Boulder and definitely not as popular as New York or something sure. like that. um yeah, it, in the slower months, we are gonna be around fifteen nights, and then in the the bigger months you're doing twenty twenty five Boulder in its slower times. It's more like twenty and then in its busier times it's like every day is booked. Yeah, that's you know? great. So slow being
1: twenty is awesome. Yeah. Do you think that's what what do you think it is about Boulder? Just that it's a destination that a lot of people are coming through, that it's there's a college here. Like because twenty nights in the slow months would be great. Like if, if yeah I mean, obviously the price per house is here are for houses are very expensive, but if you could find the sweet spot between, hey, this is like a the low season is 20 nights a month and the homes are somewhat affordable, then you're really rolling it in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's why people put up with all of the difficulty in New York and in LA. I mean, I've heard of people like having burner phones and aliases and dealing with legal action and all this stuff because they make crazy money and they can fill every single night. Now, I don't want to deal with that, but I think that Boulder does really well because it does have a lot of regulations. And so, you know, there are just a limited amount of places and there's a lot of industry in Boulder for being a small town. There's a lot of tech startups and, you know, um, there's like NCAR and atmospheric research and scientist things. Yeah. So, you know, they Stuff come. Stuff we don't
1: really understand, but no, they're coming here and paying we don't, for places.
0: But they come here and, and, you know, they might rent for just a midweek Monday to Friday, which are those hard days to fill, yep. or they'll come for three weeks or three months. So those end up being awesome and we have a lot of that. So yeah, it works out pretty well in Boulder.
1: Yeah, cuz I like I said, I did, we did the 8 night thing and and just so everyone's clear, usually when I set that, it's not breaking even at 8 nights, but if I can get close, if it's like yeah, 9 nights, 10 nights, I'm like, "All right, this is this is something I can probably work with." Now, do you see seasonality in st louis as much because i know philly for example we got crushed this winter so like january february of 2019 we're and we're just coming out of it now but we're awful and i don't know why and i talked to other airbnb hosts and they're like these are the worst we've seen in like three four years my guess is they're always low plus there's more competition because more people are buying places and all that but uh and short-term renting but we got really really beat up in the winter months Do you see that in St. Louis or is it, I mean, my guess would be it's the same. It's called no one really wants to go there.
0: Totally. I mean, I think most people just travel in the summertime anyway. It's like when the kids are off school and all of that. Um, So even in St. Louis, I'd see that like they have an even shorter high season than we have here in Boulder. Boulder is probably like May to November. Like it's pretty good. And of course, the like June, July, August, those are like crazy months. Um, but St. Louis, although I can notice that a little bit differently, it's not like it's those main couple of months that are the best, best. And yes, January, February are always the worst everywhere across the board, unless you're in like a ski town or Hawaii or something like that, which I don't have any of those places. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think actually this year, my St. Louis properties did pretty well, so I don't know. I mean, I think my pricing software has helped. There's just some things that we've improved on the properties that make them better. I'm about to get like even better photos. So all of that stuff does help. Um, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, those are hard months. I mean, yeah. those are the months where I'm like looking at my bank account and actually making sure everything's covered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those. Yeah. This last year, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? But then, but then you know and you know it's going to happen but then you start seeing may and and for f- actually the last 2 years may has been the huge month for us in Philly yeah june july august it's it's just kind of one of those weird things where one of the properties was really low in august but it, you know most of the time that's pretty good the summer but may because of graduation and there's a lot of colleges obviously because of weddings you know obviously the season starts to turn so we one of the things that we did much better this year was just jack our prices up way high in May. Whereas last year we didn't really know it was gonna be as good, so they were mid level. Now I'm like, no, give me five hundred, six hundred a night. Like if it's a weekend, you're coming in, you know, you're gonna pay that. And I was a little nervous. And then people are booking. You're like, all right. So that yeah. gives you a bit of a cushion then for that next winter when it comes. Um, do you what about any loopholes that you found? Whether that be and, and by loopholes I don't mean anything nefarious, but um like for example, in Philly, there's a really cool thing that if you, unless you bought in Philly, you wouldn't know where there's a ten-year tax abatement. So new construction, and or if you basically totally rehab a house, you get a ten-year tax abatement. So instead of paying five or six thousand dollars a year, you're paying one thousand dollars a year. Do, have you noticed anything, or do you see anything that you've taken advantage of there that, that again, like you wouldn't know if you weren't in St. Louis or you weren't in Boulder?
0: Yeah. I mean, one thing I've been playing with in Boulder that's kind of fun is that if you actually pull up a chart of like what the city of Boulder city limits are, it's weird. There's some weird pockets that are actually in Boulder that are not considered city of Boulder. Um, I think it's just because it was developed later on. Um and so technically those don't have any restrictions. And so if you can find people in those neighborhoods, so now I've been like reaching out to people on Craigslist and seeing if I can like master lease their place instead of letting them rent it long term. But that's kind of a cool thing to look at if you have an a city that's got issues like that. And we also have um like the edge of the city of Boulder is like right when you kind of go up into the mountains a little bit. So there's beautiful houses 5 minutes from town. Um, and so you can set up master leasing for places like that as well. And they're going to be a little bit cheaper and they're going to get a lot of booking. So kind of being creative about the way that you think, I think helps, um, St. Louis, if you're like kind of more creative, like you're talking about with these like tax refunds, St. Louis has a historical, um, like rejuvenation kind of program where you can get homes and get like a bunch of tax money um, to restore them. But there's a lot of rules about doing it exactly right. But they also have a lot of homes that are just like you can buy it for a dollar and it needs to be totally either you know, knocked over and redone, or um, just fixed from the studs. But if you're that kind of person, there's so much out there that's really affordable. And I am not, and I wanted my homes to be ready the day I walk in, but I can get a fully like refurbished home or, you know, renovated for 60,000. So for me, it was like, okay, no big deal. Yeah, those
1: numbers, I I mean, that's just, yeah, that's 60K. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. And that was my kind of follow-up. I think two of the big questions that I get asked a lot are about, hey, would you buy a place, like basically, should you buy new or whatever, or ready to go, turnkey, or would you buy a place that needs some work that you can make your own? I, I tend to now, after having a few that are older that you run into issues, I tend to go... Hey, let me get as turnkey or as new or as fresh as possible because I don't want to deal with those issues. Like the money's going to come through Airbnb, not through me, you know, putting in a new kitchen or hiring someone and saving 5K because I did it cheaper. Is that that's your idea, too, is like I'm going to get something maybe cost me a little more, but is ready to rock.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if someone's never renovated even a bathroom, like don't even deal with it because I, I've i done some of those where I'm just managing it for a friend or, you know, a client and that was my experience with like just getting the contractor there and doing what he says in the correct timeline and costing what you expect and you're not there physically, no way. So, and, and that's a whole nother team that you'd have to put together. For me, all I needed to get going was my, agent who had his own inspector. And then I had a cleaner and a handyman and you don't even need the handyman until you have a problem. But you know, that's a very small team. If you're going to do a whole flip, you know, you need like 40 guys, (laughs) like who knows. Right. So I don't know those people right off the get go. And of course you can connect with those through like bigger pockets or different sites. But, um, I just didn't want to get in over my head. I already was investing in a town I didn't know anything sure. about. So it's like, okay, one thing at a time, everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I, I in my head I see these places that I'm like, oh, this is a good deal and we could renovate it and this and that. And then I have to remind myself and say, like, that's your expertise is not that. I'm not saying I'll never do that, but it it a it takes someone being on the ground probably you if it's the first time you're doing it it takes time and and a lot of effort and i have to say like my expertise is getting people in through airbnb and the easiest way to do that is by finding a house that I think is ready to go and is going to have as few problems as possible. And so I, I had to like flip my mindset a little bit and say, "Hey, you don't always have to get the best value when it comes to buying a property. C- certainly, we're shooting for that, right? But you don't have to get the best value when it comes to buying a property because that's not ultimately where your cash flow is going to come. Your cash flow is going to come from you doing a good job with the Airbnb part of it. And yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, all right, give me new construction. <laughs> you know, not that you oh, can't yeah. have problems, totally. but. It certainly limits those problems a little bit if you go that way.
0: Yeah. For me, it's like I will schedule a close on a Thursday so I can fly in that day. And then I I personally like to go to garage sales and do all the like consignment stores and whatnot. So I know garage sales are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm in the house, you know, doing that. And then I can get it furnished in 10 to 14 days, depending on how big it is. And then I have the calendar open already to book. So I use, right off the get-go, I just use the, the empty photos that I had from the MLS listing. And then as I get stuff in there, every day at the end of the day, I'm going to take a photo. You know, even if it's one couch and this and that, it, in the ad, I say, will be fully furnished by X Interesting. date. Interesting, okay. And I'm getting it booked out. You know, as long as I know that I'm actually going to close on the house, like this is after inspection. Sure, Don't like sell a property you don't think you're going to own, you know, but um, that's like, okay, I'm going to get there and get it done. And of course, every home is going to have a couple little tinker things that need to get done right when you buy it. But I have my handyman like look over the inspection report and then he goes in and it's usually just like a couple of little things just to get it like ready, ready.
1: Man, I thought I was like crack the whip. Let's get these things going. <laughs> you're you're putting up pictures before this stuff is even furnished. That mm-hmm. is okay. Well, it makes sense. I and now that I think about it, you know we ha- we never put up the listings until it was completely ready to go. Which okay is is probably the normal non-creative way, right? Not non-Ziana creative way to do it because you're <laughs> like, well, I, who's going to look at this? But yeah, you have a good. If it takes you 14 days or 21 days to get it ready. That's a lot of lead time for people looking that again, maybe, you know, especially if the price is right, they can at least see what the property looks like without it furnished. That's not a bad way to do it. Next one I do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try that. Like, let me just put it up. Let me get the listing up immediately after we close or or immediately when we know we're going to close. And then obviously just get the pictures done when it's actually furnished and throw it up there and change pictures out.
0: Yeah. And you just say like new listing special, you know, take advantage of our cheap prices and whatever. Yeah. It's just like, it's okay, a just get it so, going. Yeah. yeah. What about
1: then? Because this I get this question a ton is about the size of the properties. Do you have a specialty? Are you like, hey, we're only doing two bedrooms, <laughs> one bath? Or are you someone again, who gets creative and you're like, hey, I'll look at a property to see how it might work. What, where do you fall on that scale?
0: Um, I just want to go back a little bit. So we did talk about like how old of a property. So I do look for renovated and I do think over um, just something that looks kind of updated. If you can find a place where somebody did a flip and they said we renovated it to the studs, there's a lot more newness to that. So that's something. But then even better than that is a house that's maybe like 10 to 20 years old. So if you get new construction, they're more expensive. You're just yep. paying like a you know a little bit of a hype for the the cool new place. Um, but ten years or so, most things are still new. You know, your roof lasts twenty years, and furnace well, is going to be least fifteen. Fine. Sure. Yeah. So that's like if I was to go back and tell myself, you know, what are the things that you would advise? Like, yeah, I would have loved to know that. Um, because now having homes that some of them are fifty to a hundred years old, like everything. I mean, you know, just and like, once
1: it's one thing, it's yeah. every you're like, did they plan this that everything is gonna fall apart at the exact same it's so time? There's so many here? things I
0: wouldn't think of too. It's like, you know, the sidewalk is chipping and just like all <laughs> kinds of small stuff, but it's expensive, you know. It, even just like the tree that you thought was really charming and then really it's like a thousand dollars to trim it. You're like, gosh. So yes, I would be careful about that. And the other thing I would say is always have two bathrooms because if a toilet is plugged Mm -hmm. and you can't get someone there on a Sunday, they freak out and it's an emergency, like get it, you know, but like, oh my gosh, I can't get someone there like in an hour always. So having a second bathroom is really important. All
1: right. So you never buy one bathroom places. It's always at least one and (laughs) a half. Well, of
0: course I own like four one bathroom places. uh, But I am now
1: (laughs) saying don't do that. Gotcha. Okay. So that okay, we're getting into so that was the hey, if I told myself this five years ago, I would say always get at least one-and-a-half bathrooms.
0: Yes, and so now you're going into sizing, right? So I love what you have. I think you guys are super smart to have these four-bedroom places. And I know you're saying the downside is, yeah, sometimes we get overlooked because we're so big. But what I've noticed from managing bigger homes is that... You know, sometimes you're just going to get the wealthier family that each person gets a bedroom and it's only four people or even just two and they're a couple that wants big space or they're kind of luxurious or whatever. And so you have that option, but you can also charge a lot and get like 15 people in there. Everybody's on a couch, you know? And yes, that's a little more wear and tear on the place, but like for St. Louis, if I'm going to buy like a four bedroom place, maybe instead of it being... 75 or 80 or 100, it's going to be like 160, but it's not that much more. And all of a sudden I can charge four or 500 bucks a night instead of 100. And so the numbers are crazy. And that's what I'm looking at now going forward.
1: That's, I think that's why, like I never sat there and said, we're only getting four bedroom places, right? But I think that that's why it's always happened that way is that when I look at it and I'm like, Well, actually, our one condo is a a two-bedroom place, um, but that's that's long-term rented now. But all the other places are are four-bedroom, and the new one is three-bedroom with a finished basement, so it's essentially like a fourth-bedroom. But it's always been that idea of, wait a second, a two-bedroom's, like, let's say in Philly, 300K in this one area, right? All right, two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath is 300K. This three-bedroom, three-bath is 350K. Well, like, it just... To me it, with a finished basement, it just it just always makes the most sense. So whenever I'm looking at the value, like I would not be against a two bedroom one one bath or two bedroom one and a half bath, basically like two couples or two people coming, and I think they would get booked much more frequently, but I just can never seem to find one that has enough value, at least in Philly, because again, you're paying eighty. Eighty-five percent. What would you would pay for maybe something with one or two more bedrooms? And so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to know too until you do it. Like, yeah, I can, I, you know, I could try to look at a two bedroom, one and a half bath, and be like, how much are they booked? But unless I really had a friend doing it or I was doing, I could be like, let me see your real numbers. The calendar in Airbnb just gives you an idea. I don't know how much they're getting per night, right? They might cut their rates. So I'm always interested in trying that out, but I think. That you are right, that I see I tend to see the most value at least in our area with places that are maybe three, four bedroom. You get a group of six, eight in, and you can usually charge a bit more. Now, the other issue is you, you know, you said wear and tear, sometimes parties, but that's for luckily for us been few and far between. It usually happened when we lowered our prices. It, this happened this winter, we had a few issues with parties and people trashing the place a decent amount. And it was because we it was winter. We lowered our prices a ton because we just had to get people in or we didn't have to, but we wanted to. And that's when we had the issues. So I'm touring a little bit between that, do I just keep it high? And if one person books for one weekend, that covers those three weekends if I would have lowered it or not. I don't know. It's a game, right? I mean, there's no real right answer.
0: Yeah, it is game. I think maybe just doing more screening in the wintertime. Um, but we've also had that problem. And I think it's also just like recording that information going like, okay, when it was 120, it was fine. When it was 110, mm-hmm. that's where the problems happened, And just maybe not going below that depending on how desperate you get. But I've definitely had that at some places where it's like 35 is fine and then 20 is not, you know. So uh, like if we're talking bedrooms or something like that. But yeah, um, it really does depend. And it's sad to say because like, it feels good to give people a deal. You're like, oh, man. Right. And then my, my scores for value is up. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's dangerous.
1: It, it is. And I think that you, you're you never going to know fully either, right? And so when people talk about the numbers there the Airbnb, even if, you know, now we have like two, two and a half year track record here. Like I said, the one property got crushed last August, but you get one extra booking in for someone for four or five nights, and now that number totally flips, and you say, "Whoa, we had a great August." You know that decision that that person made could have been a spur of the moment thing. They easily could have booked yours, or they didn't. So I do think that it's if you get into this, it it's never super cut and dry. Like we can sit here and talk about it. you have five or six properties. We have five. We can go through all the numbers. We can kind of come up with trends and guesses, but you can never say, well, I know August is going to be an awesome month because again, who knows? Like you know, Or you have someone book and then they cancel and it's pretty last minute and you don't get someone in there. And all of a sudden your numbers look pretty bad. So I, I've i had a hard time with that a little bit because I want to know the answer. I want to be like, what's my best month? What, what can I do for August? And sometimes yeah. it's just... It's just the nature of it, right? Because you, yeah, it's people looking at your place and making a split second decision.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's so many different factors there's like recessions or not. There's, yeah, popularity for an area. There's maybe like festivals, weather, all kinds of different things that could happen that would just be that year. So it is hard to know. Um, Yeah. But if I go back a little bit to what we were talking about sizing of places, I do think another thing to consider is the resale value. And because Philly, I want to say has a lot of families. I think a four-bedroom place would sell better than if you, like we were talking earlier when we weren't on the podcast, I own two homes that are one-bedroom homes, which is super unique. Like that doesn't really happen anymore.
1: You know? I was like, I, what does that even look like? I want to see the layout. Like, what does a one bedroom house look like?
0: Yeah, I can, I can send you links so you can put in your show notes to both of the homes. Um, one has a finished basement, so it kind of feels like a two bedroom. And the other one has like a sunroom addition. And so, again, we market it kind of like a two bedroom, even though it's really just a one. Um, but Airbnb has so much competition in the one and two bedroom space. You know, that's their bread and butter. So once you step out and you have a four to six bedroom home, you might be one of three and it's really easy for the people to say, well, we definitely have to book this one because it's close and the other ones are 20 minutes away. So I think that, yeah, it's it's a better way to go if you can afford it. But for me, it was just getting my foot in the door. Like this is what I can afford. So let me get a one bedroom house and see how it goes.
1: Is there anything that you've seen with houses that you thought made it stand out and this from like an investing standpoint, like a funk, like something that you're like, all right, why I I don't ever get houses that, well, you said you have a one bedroom, but I don't, you, I wouldn't tend to get places that are funky with like a little bit of a funky layout. Like give me a traditional, you know, two or three bedroom, two or three, like two or three bath, like normal layout. Or do you say, no, I kind of am drawn to the quirky because every city and every town has quirky homes and then cookie cutter homes. Do you have a preference?
0: Yeah, so I this Colorado Springs house. I literally bought it because it had a shiplap wall, which is like kind of just like uh, repurposed wood, you know, but that's gotten really big because of some fix and flip shows. And then it also had a barn door, like a sliding barn door. And I just thought these are HGTV photo magic. Like yep. that is going to book me every single time because people want to live in such a cool, stylish home. And so I just had to play up to those features. But literally the first photo when you click is my sliding barn door because it's so cool. Right. And like the house is quirky. Like it's 100 years old and like you walk in there and it's kind of like house of mirrors. Like the it's all leany and weird because of settling. But it's really cute because we had it all done. Like the guy flipped it and it's all beautiful. So, you know. Those sorts of things, but yeah, I really do look at barn doors. I've seen them on some closets of places, and I'm like, buy that one. You know, yeah. you could get
1: your handyman to throw barn doors on every one of your houses if you wanted. I want to know that <laughs> they're not that expensive. Um,
0: yeah, they look cool.
1: I, I am with you. We and and you play up those strengths. Like I said to Heather, we for example, we put in a a swinging chair in the one bedroom of our newest place. And you know, it hangs from the ceiling. It's just like this little macrame chair. It's not super comfortable. It's not uncomfortable. Yeah. But like, you better believe that's one of the first pictures because someone will say when they're looking through, oh, we should book the house with the blank, with the barn door, with the shiplap wall, with the, the hanging chair because they think, and we call it like an urban oasis, like retreat to your little boho, bohemian urban oasis. And I just said, you know, this is going to get us way more bookings then a, a nicer chair, like let's say you go and buy a really expensive chair at Pottery Barn and it looks nice. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. But this is like a standout feature and you only need probably one or two things to play up just so that it's different. Whether it be parking in the city, which is you know a big one, or a roof deck, which this place has too, or you kind of build your own in with a hanging chair or some sort of unique furniture or feature. Yeah,
0: I mean, you're really getting me thinking. I'm like, how many of my houses could have barn doors? Because that'd be uh, all, my thing. I'm like, barn door lady.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, I think you just have to do it. You can yeah, fit it in anywhere. I mean, I'm going to talk to them. I need some there quotes. You, <laughs> there you go. Get some quotes. So, all right. So, we talked about the sizing and the uniqueness. The last kind of question I had on that was the this idea of, like, finding a place like that that you talked about. Shiplap, barn door. I love this place. Emotion versus numbers like do you get invested you know for lack of a bad pun there or whatever (laughs) do you get invested in a place and find yourself like i have to have this you know when you see it or are you the type who comes in and says yeah this would be great okay or the numbers don't work or hey we're putting an offer but someone went higher and you can let it go
0: yeah, so I know better, and it still probably happens to me every time. Gotcha. You know, All it's right. like good after hear, a while, yeah, you see, it's like I talk about it like I've been courting these homes, you yeah. know, like late at night, I'm like on Redfin, like checking out the numbers, like, you know, it's just this thing. Oh, I know. Can, you develop a relationship, and then when it doesn't go your way, you know, even when you get like a bad inspection report, sometimes you want to talk yourself into it, like, it'll be okay, these things won't actually go wrong, you know. So it's hard. It's really hard. But I think it's good. Again, if you have a partner, sometimes people can shed some light and be like the voice of reason. Right. Um, So, yeah. And I that happens to me when a house gets like under contract and I didn't get there in time. Like it crushes me. Yeah. So. it's definitely an emotional thing no matter what. They're like your babies.
1: Good to know. I feel the same way. It starts to feel like it's yours. You're looking (laughs) at it every day. You're like, oh my gosh well this number doesn't work but if it drops to this price then maybe it does and uh, I'm with you and uh, there was one like that. We ended up not getting it because I had my dad and Heather walk through and I said, all right, listen, I want this place. It was funky. It was like had a commercial (laughs) space below but with with a huge sliding barn door actually (laughs) to break off the commercial space and the house Else, which no. you're like oh you could either open it up for big big parties or you could whatever I, I had all these ideas and both of them were like nope we don't like it and we didn't get it and I, it actually has gone up very much in value because it was a great neighborhood was like in the middle um, of being like a good neighborhood and now it really is so I was right about that but they talked us out of it and maybe it saved us a lot of heartache so it is nice to have uh, have a partner who sits there and and you know kind of you can bounce ideas off of and maybe even if you have two partners like Heather and my dad, then they talk you out of it, but I'm with you. I get emotional and that's okay. I think you just yeah. don't want to like fall down that hole too much.
0: One thing I got to say about the barn doors is they don't really provide much of a barrier. It's kind of a joke. So like yeah, to, to hear not that from a functional. commercial <laughs> <laughs> space. Yeah. yeah it's it, like the light comes through, the sound is not like a barrier. And so our barn door and this house that I'm talking about is to the bathroom. Okay, and it's attached to the kitchen. It is awkward as heck. I mean, yeah, it's like, like the, you're in there cooking and smelling someone poops. Yeah, I go. So yeah, like, oh, it's dude. really not functional at all. But, but they, they don't cool. know that until they get there.
1: Yeah, and, and that look cool. <laughs> last, last kind of question here with investing, yeah. and, and it comes to like this idea of buying, and if someone's saying, "Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into this," or, or "I am into this," I'm going I'm to look to buy. What do you do when it comes to Pricing now, and what I mean by that is obviously every market has different prices. But do you always just go in super low because you say, "Hey, I don't need this" because that's that's where I'm at. Like I'm not looking for a house for myself to live in. So, and even though I am emotionally attached to these properties because I'm like (laughs) it's midnight and I'm scrolling through, it still doesn't really matter if I get it. So, do you have a strategy with that? Do you sit there and say, "All right, I'm always going to try to knock twenty percent off." whatever the price is going in. Because again, I have that leverage that I can easily walk away if I want.
0: I think you really need to know your market because it depends. So like Boulder, there's no way you're going to get under market. (laughs) Like you better put in an offer, you know, 20,000 plus above. And you got to know that St. Louis things sit on the market up to four months. It is crazy. And it's always listed 10,000 plus above. So I know that. And I know like, man, if this place has already been sitting here for a month or two lots of people start to go well what's wrong with it why didn't it get bought yet so I put in pretty low offers there and I'm happy to either you know work with them and say you want this closed really fast we can do that or I can just kind of linger and um, in the case of my of my Colorado Springs place I put in a crazy low offer and everything in Colorado Springs at that time was just like exploding off the market like it was very competitive and so my partner was like you're never gonna get that And my real estate agent was the same way. They both were just like, you are just wasting our time. But I was freaking right. And so I put it in there and I didn't like, he would say no. And then I would wait a week and I would put another offer and go like, nobody's come by, have they? Well, here we are. We're still around. No, I put a little bit more, but I do... um, So there's this book called Never Split the Difference, and that guy is a master at negotiation. But it's not all about real estate investment. He's like an FBI negotiator, but they all apply. So anyway, he talks about, you know, knowing your number and then working back. And so when I'm going to do that, the first offer, maybe I go 5000 then the next offer, I go like 2500 And then the next offer is only 1000 So they know it's not going very far until my final number that I already knew. Right. So that's how I did it. Every week, I was just like, you have a one-bedroom house. This is Colorado Springs. Nobody wants that. They all want three-bedroom plus. So no one is coming to this house. So I was just like, I'm going to just keep putting in a weekly offer until this guy bites. And he did. Nice. And then we got it for super cheap. So... Yeah, it's it's just like really knowing what you're dealing with.
1: Why did you put in such a low offer for that house to begin with? Just because you didn't really need it? Or just because you thought that's where the numbers work or that's where the market should be?
0: Um, Yeah, I didn't really need it. I mean, you never really need it, right? But I wanted it. And it, it was the kind of house that like we saw 11 in one day. We went like on a just like, let's go see what Colorado Springs is about. And I went with an investor friend. And... It was the one that like sparkled. I don't know how to explain it, but you get like an intuition about it. And so I saw it twice on that trip and then I just couldn't stop talking about it. And so, you know, flirting with it on Redfin, like you do late at night. Um, but I just thought, okay, I got to figure it out. So I found the money and then figured out how to do it. But yeah, it was like, I'm probably not going to get this. Yeah, But what I thought that I could get away with is that it was kind of in a borderline neighborhood. So... People that were local to Colorado Springs probably didn't want to buy there. Um, And then also that it was a one-bedroom house. So those two things I just kind of knew from knowing about Colorado Springs that I could probably get away with it. Yeah.
1: What do you do then? You talked about some you put in with cash. Do you always go cash? Do you ever get straight mortgages? What is your MO? Or does it depend on the property? Like if you really want to get it, you say, hey, I'll close quick. What do yeah. you decide when it comes to actually financing it or or bank cash?
0: Yeah, I mean, cash, there's this idea that you're going to get a deal, but I haven't actually found that to be true.
1: I don't, why, yeah. People I, say people it, are, but it's not true. People are still getting the money. As long as you can get a mortgage, you're going to get it. It might just yeah. help you close quicker.
0: It does. And actually, the close costs less, which is great, sure. you know, versus like $3,000, it might be like 800 bucks, which is awesome. But your money's all tied up. And so, for a home over a hundred thousand, I would say, yeah, it's really good to have a mortgage. It's harder to get a mortgage on a home that's less than that. And if you just have the cash, like, okay. But we do have a mortgage on this house that was like 69 or
1: 72. So you're the $300 a month person now. Yeah,
0: it's like 400, but
1: it is kind of
0: like ridiculous. You're like, okay, why do we even? I mean, we had the money, but it was about the leverage part. The sad thing about mortgages, though, is that you're paying almost twice as much in the 30 years. So yes, you can do other things with that money, but you're really getting like kind of messed around with that. So if you don't think about that, then it's okay. But yes, I I think mortgages are the best way to go. And the reason I get partners is so they can get the mortgage because my lifestyle as like a self-employed person with all these different Airbnbs, it's like really complicated. Yeah, they so start looking at that thinking,
1: I don't even understand her situation, Like, yeah. let alone I'm going to give her a mortgage. I can't even figure out what she's doing at this Yeah, part. and like
0: every single month, it's a different wage. And yeah, it's very unpredictable for them. So that's what I do is I've got my friend who's been working at the same job four years, and he's got a W-2, and it's super easy. And so he's just kind of the stand-in. But for him, it's amazing because he didn't know anything about real estate until we Started doing it together and he learns a lot along the way. And then I managed it so he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. So, so he's, it's he's a super the, win. Yeah,
1: you're like, dude, you've got the numbers on paper. You're, yeah. you're you're that guy and you'll do all the work. Now you said you were due for another property. Do you go in? Well, obviously, you go in spurts, at least for buying them, like you did in St. Louis. But are you constantly looking? Because I think that can, I love it too, but it almost can get overwhelming because I'll say, oh my gosh, now I want to look in Nashville. Oh my gosh, now I want to look in, now I'm going to go look in St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're constantly looking in a lot of different places, it it can be hard to even figure out what you want, and it can skew it. Like, I know I've been looking at real estate here in Boulder, Obviously not going to buy. It's too expensive. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So, oh, how much is this house? Everything's a million plus. So yeah. now I go back and look at Philly and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is only 500K. Wait a second. Like yeah. three weeks ago I looked at it and be like, that's not worth it for 500K. So what is, like, do you have a little bit of a pattern or do you just get antsy and say, I'm going to start looking at places?
0: Well, I have a lot of investor friends now just kind of being in this role for a while. Um, so anytime someone mentions a new town that I never heard of or didn't really think about, I look at it like... Even if someone's like, oh, I just recently visited this town. It was kind of cool. I'm like, what's the real estate like? (laughs) You know, I'm just a crazy person. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) But um, so I'm pretty familiar with a lot of different markets just because I've done that. But I haven't found too many where I look at it and I go, these seem kind of like good deals. It's like for the most part, what you're able to find just right on the MLS is not great. And that's why people spend a lot of energy like hunting for you know, hidden deals, I guess. Um, So for me, I'm really just kind of at a place where I'm not looking right now. But if I have like the notifications on Redfin, it'll make me crazy because I I will constantly be looking and saying, Louis. I can always find something. And that's not necessarily smart. So yes, at the moment, I'm kind of on hold and I'm really just hoping that there's something that like drops a bit, but it could still be a year and a half. And like, can I hold off that long? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I I am. With you. I feel the same way with the notifications. I sit yeah. there and think, so I go through spurts where I have to delete the apps off my phone mm. or also just check all the time. And like you said, St. Louis, Philadelphia, if you're looking at big cities, there will all, I mean, every day there's going to be 40 new properties coming up. Yeah. So you could always find something that's a deal because, hey, they come up and then they sit for a couple months. Maybe you could get it lower. You could put in. 10 offers every day undercutting people and maybe you'll get one of those 10, you know, here or there, but it's also like at what cost? Like it's, it obviously is very time heavy, even if you like doing it. And so, yeah, I'll go through spurts. I'm like, I have to delete these apps and not even look. (laughs) because you feel guilty. Like, I know a good deal just came out, but who cares? Like, who cares? It's not, you're looking, we're not looking in a place with 10 homes where we have to get a specific one. We're looking just for value and there's always going to be some sort of value. So I go through spurts and then I have to like, yep, turn off notifications. Like, don't send them to my emails when a thing drops $5,000 because then I'm going to think about it. All right. So you go through a bit of spurts too. And then do you have an overall idea of like how many properties you want or is it fluid? Do you say, I want 10, I want each one making $1,000 a month because I want to make 10,000. Like, is there some sort of overall goal for you?
0: Yeah, I would say that's exactly the one. Okay. All right. (laughs) It's like 10 sounds like a nice number, right? Um, And then, yeah, if they can all make $1,000, then I feel like, I mean, I'm good at living pretty frugal. So actually what I have now, I could just stop. But and I'm only 32 and it's like hard to just stop, stop. Um, So yeah, part of me thinks, yeah, 10, that sounds like a really good number.
1: And you're at six? I'm at six. Okay.
0: But I have friends that have 100 and I just don't think that feels good. You know, like, I just don't want to be just that You don't crazy. want to be a mogul,
1: like a real estate mogul. No. or You don't want to be a real estate. I, I almost like, I don't call myself a real estate investor. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I, really I want it's to do, it's saucy. Well, I guess, right. I'm an investor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it on your business card. Maybe, all right, I guess you new, need new business cards. But yeah. I just, I'm with you. Sometimes I think this is so cool But I actually then realized, you know, I have a buddy who does all types of development. They're opening a hotel in Philly and all this stuff. It's awesome. Like he's doing really neat stuff. But when I stop and think about it, I'm like, man, then that's your life. And could it be location independent if you really worked at it and set it up? But it's it's it can be very location dependent. And I have to kind of back it up and say, wait a second. All this sounds cool. But at the detriment of the lifestyle you get to lead, eh, maybe not. And I feel like maybe that's where you're at too. Like, I'll do it and I like it, but I don't need to be the biggest name because I don't want it to rule my life essentially.
0: Yeah. I think people get clouded with this idea of like taking over the world, you know, they're like more, more, better. And I don't agree. Like for me, it's really about lifestyle. And so, yeah, I could see myself getting to like, okay, 200 properties, even just managing that many. And it's not sane. You know, and I meet those people, you know. And I know a lot of investors that, yes, they have 50 or 100 properties, but they're like only 200, um, you know, they're making only 200 per door. So they're still not making that much money. And you're like, okay, why don't you just pay off 10 and not have 100? And then you would be making enough money to live. Like, I'm just like, I think you're doing it wrong. But everybody has their own desire, you know?
1: Yeah, and their own goal and their own... Point of real estate investing. And for some people, you know, I first started, I thought it was, I was going to get one in Philly, but I, fi- I got sucked into that trap, not even in a negative way, but we got our first one and I thought, oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It was it was like a rush, it was a high, right? It is. I'm like, oh, we got this for undervalued. Like, you know, it's definitely worth more of this and that. And then, of course, if you're looking like I did, you can always find the next one, the next one, the next one. But you do, I think if I could give anyone advice who's listening about investing and, and real estate investing specifically is just take it slow like I didn't I did a similar thing to you it was like four in a year little over a year and it was it became essentially a full-time job and to the detriment of some of the other businesses and stuff so if you're retired and that's what you want to do go for it but I think for most people listening it's like I want to get one or two take it slow make sure they work get your footing talk and to other people cuz this has been super helpful for me just it almost then satiates my urge a little bit, like talking to you and running your numbers and looking at your properties, because I'm like, all right, that's cool. So like talking, kind of maybe getting a group that does that, and that might be an outlet enough rather than buying more and more and more, because you can fall into this trap of getting more and then all of a sudden it becoming a, a job or or even you know worse, like you're kind of handcuffing yourself a little bit, so...
0: Yeah. And on the other flip side of that is like, don't just never do anything. Right. Because I do meet people at like meetups and stuff where they're like, well, I'm working through these like 400 episodes of bigger pockets. And once I've listened to all of them, then maybe I'll be ready to go. And it's like, you're never going to know it all. You're going to make mistakes, but hopefully you can make ones that aren't like going to end you, you know, and I've made a lot of them. Um, so that's just part of learning, but it's great to just get your foot in the door, which I love about Airbnb because, you know, you learn a lot, even just by renting and re-renting or, managing a friend or relative's home or, or even just renting out your own and just kind of getting an idea of what numbers are possible and, and what kind of mortgage you could cover. So there's a lot to be learned by just starting and partnering with somebody and spreading the risk out. So I definitely think get educated, do go slow, get the right place. Um, but something.
1: Would you recommend, last question, because we kind of touched on this in episode sure. one and two, but for anyone who didn't listen to that or just remind, me, would you recommend someone before they buy a property to Airbnb, either Airbnb their own home to get a feel for it, like you said, manage someone else's listing if you, if you can't do your own, or rent a place like you master leasing where you rent a place with the purpose of then renting it on Airbnb. Would you recommend someone do that to dip their toe in the water before buying a place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think first off is just renting your own place. And I know some people don't love the idea of that, but it's just like, you need to kind of make the mistakes in your own home before you do something bad at someone else's place. And I think that's a great way to start because it's just low risk. It's like, it's not going to be that much for you to put even your couch. People have shared spaces on Airbnb that they can put up um, for rent. So we all have something we can rent out and I think that's a great way to just get started and get a little information on like what guests are wanting and how to communicate and how to use the the technology of the apps which so is always it's ch- important Dude, the
1: Airbnb app frustrates me to no end oh, it changes all the time. better than all the other ones <laughs> oh, yeah I, that's the problem I guess yeah. it is like the home away one frustrates me even more I just don't use it as much but yeah. I keep Can never find out where to go on the Airbnb app. I'm like, how can I just see this one thing? But yeah, that's another story. Okay. Anyway, Um, so that's it with investing. I'm with you. Any other piece of advice? We kind of touched on a few things that you said. If I had known this before I started, one and a half bathrooms was one. Yeah. Any (laughs) any other things that sticks out in your mind? Just like a quick hit. Like, hey, if I now that I'm three, four, five years in, this is something that I would have like I won't do again or would have liked to know.
0: Oh, um, gosh, I wish I had something. I don't really know. I mean, I'd say that, yeah, it's it's about looking for that newer place. I think that's a really great thing. The two bathrooms thing are one and a half. That's more accurate. The other thing I would say is that just be careful about the contracts. Like when you're working with somebody, there are so many great like rocket lawyer and sites like that that have templates and you can just easily fill them in. So you don't need to pay someone a lot of money for it. But even if you're just working with your cousin or whatever, get a contract in there, just like a a joint venture agreement or a promissory note if you're borrowing money that has the actual terms of how you're paying everything back, just because that's really important to refer to later. Um, So yeah, I would say that's important stuff. Nice.
1: So all everyone one and a half bathrooms. So now there's <laughs> now there's one bathroom house on the market are going to oh, go yeah. down in price so much. We can scoop them we'll up. Just Good scoop job. Them up. Yeah, there you go. I know
0: I saw one the other day that I was like, "What's your rule? One and a half bathrooms?" <laughs> and I like got so sad.
1: It is funny when you set your own rules but then you want to break your own rules. Like, yeah. I'm setting these for a reason. Like no one's making me do that, but Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, so guys, start slow. obviously if you didn't listen to part 1 and 2 We go into a little bit more, less of the investing and buying for Airbnb purposes, more of the, hey, you can do it with your own place, kind of the nitty gritty. Then in episode two of like, what are the best things? Get pictures. Ziana told me that during that episode, we got professional pictures. Things have gone up. So there you go. (laughs) So episode two, kind of like, hey, here's how to market and really do well with your Airbnb. Episode one, kind of a general overview. Do you want to get into it? Yes, no. Here are some of the pros, cons we kind of talk about your experience, on and my experience. So check those out if you haven't already. And I just want to say thank you for coming on again. Super Aww, fun to do it in you. person this time. Yeah,
0: it's weird, but cool. It is, it is like weird, it. but cool.
1: Where can people find out more about everything that you're doing? Because you do have a yeah. site and... I, I don't know if you have your properties listed on there, but you I offer do. property you management stuff too if people are interested.
0: Yes, com is my site and I'll, you should put in the show notes because it's weird spelling. Um, but yeah, we do consulting to help people answer questions if they're trying to just learn how to do this sort of business or buy homes. Um. Yeah, we manage homes all over the country, from Seattle to Spain. So, oh, happy to there you help. Go. Wow. Not all yeah. all over
1: the world, you have to say then at that point. It's well, true.
0: But we used to have one in South Africa and one in Greece, and uh, it doesn't work out. So we don't talk about that anymore. Gotcha. It's right. so
1: Seattle to Spain. I like <laughs> yeah, that. All right, yeah, there it's you cute. go. Nice, a little,
0: little catchy. There you go. Um, I do want to say one more thing. It just like popped up for me. Is that I want people to realize that rental properties are a different kind of investment than buying your own home. And I don't normally think that buying your own home is actually a good investment. And there's a lot of blogs comparing the two. So like personally, I rent where we live. My boyfriend and I live downtown Boulder. We rent. And all the other properties I own, those we make money off of. So make sure to do a little bit of research in that because your primary residence and like the quality of home you want to live in. Is not always a good deal.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I think that a lot of people fall into I, I, I see it in two camps. Some people are like, I have to buy my own house. Like it's just ingrained in them buy your own house, buy your own house, you know, that yeah. you're living in. And then I've seen a lot of, I don't want to say millennials, but just actually people my age, our age, who, Are living a little bit more location independent lifestyle, and they're saying, like, I would never buy a house. No way. Like, I only want to rent. And I'm like, guys, (laughs) there's an in between. Like, Uh, sure. Obviously, we own our own home um, and things like that. But there is certainly, there are options out there. You don't have to go one way or the other. And I think that's a really interesting point that you have these rental properties, and this is what I always try to say to Heather when she's talking about us buying a new home, like the rental properties make us money. This won't, you know, it's it's just for our enjoyment. So we have to look at it through a different lens of what we can afford and and things like that. Totally.
0: And it really depends on where you live. If you live in St. Louis, everybody needs to own their own home. It's like ridiculous if you rent there because just the numbers don't make sense. But most places most cities, you need to, I mean, you need to look at it because a lot of times you can get cheaper rent because someone's owned the house for 20 years and it's undervalued.
1: Yeah. I mean, we take, take where we are right here in this neighborhood in Boulder. And I mean, you can't touch a property for under a million, million and a half, really, if you want anything. And yet the people who owned it for 20, 30 years paid 300,000 or 200,000. So they, you know, they don't need to make an arm and a leg off rent. Yeah. They can sit there and be like, yeah, I could rent this to someone for, you know, a much smaller amount. So that, yeah, two sides of the coin there when it comes to Boulder being basically way overpriced when it comes to buy versus renting St. Louis, the other side. Hey, you could buy and it's way cheaper than if you were renting. So totally, just be cognizant of that. Awesome. Thank you, Ziana, for coming, recording the podcast. Thank, Thank you, you for hooking up me up with this uh, sweet house sit here in Boulder so we could do this in person. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you got a little in for Hawaii for me at some point. I do. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll be, I'll, we'll be chatting after the podcast. I'm going to try to house sit in Hawaii basically because yeah. I can get there for free. Southwest. So yeah, thank you so so much for coming on. Guys, thank you for listening. If you want more information, you can obviously go to show notes like if you want Zianna's website, which is a little hard to spell, we'll throw in the show notes <laughs> extra pack of slash shows. Also, you could reach out to Zianna. How can they get a hold of you on social media? You have social media, yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I What's was like that? <laughs> Yeah. I was like, No, I know hers, but I forget because I think you have a you in Adventurous? or I don't um, that's oh, how no. you spell
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, is, yeah, I have Instagram and I have a Twitter, but like, don't message me there because I don't use it that much. Um, and then Facebook for sure. But you know, that's all connected on my website. The website's the best because people can email me through there, and that's yeah. what I'm checking the most.
1: Awesome. So, thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Reach out to Zion if you have questions. You can reach out to me. Obviously, if you like this episode, let us know. That's why we did part three. Was because we got such good feedback. I People <laughs> literally going and investing and buying Airbnb properties, uh, f- not just from what we said. I, we will take all the credit. Just yeah,
0: like, no, we'll take it all. <laughs> all right,
1: I'm gonna say ninety percent. We can take a hundred. So, thank you, Sasha and Darren. That was awesome. If any of you uh, guys have questions, let us know for sure. Don't forget if you're traveling. And whether you're staying in Airbnbs or not, that's totally cool. Grab a Tortuga backpack, and you can do that at tortugabackpacks.com. Promo code EPOP. That'll get you 10% off your entire order there. And until next time, happy free travels. Bye. I'll show you There are only two states in the U.S. where the temperature has never surpassed 100 degrees. I gave you the first one, Alaska, and you probably would have guessed that. But the second one is super shocking. It's Hawaii. Did anyone get that?